0: Question How should we die? In Christ. In Christ, okay? What is it? Ready. Ready? Healthy. Die healthy. <laughs> <laughs> With a smile on our face, yeah, expectantly. expectantly. Well, let me just let me rephrase it. Let me just say this to you. If 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 I can use this this language, I mean, think about your own your own going out. How would you like to go out? In a party. Huh? In a party. All right. <laughs> Raptured. Raptured. How? I didn't hear that, what was that? I still didn't hear it. In prayer, okay. Working for the Lord. Working for the Lord, oh, that's good. Pardon? You wanna go like Enoch, okay, okay. (laughs) Joyfully, okay. Mike? Without regret, so that's good. See, we don't often think about our death, do we? Unless we get a little older now and start <laughs> contemplating those, those possibilities. I think that we want to go out, Christians certainly, want to go out, um, if I can use this term, with gusto. We want to go out triumphantly. Do you? I'd like to think that when I die, and this has been my prayer, that, that when God takes me, that I'm either witnessing, preaching, discipling, praying. I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being faithful in some sense. I want to go out with all the flags flying. Does that make sense? You know you you see pictures of, of naval ships, warships either going out or coming in to port and all the flags are flying, full mast, everything, everything's out, everything they got it all on display. We're home or we're going out to war or something. I think that's the way Christians ought to go out. I read a, uh, in anticipation of this message, I read a, a number of authors and one, one man wrote this. He said, God is glorified when his people leave this world with their flags flying at full mast. God is glorified. We have, a, we have a saying. I, I had a, a football coach in high school who said, you're going to play the game like you practice. How many of you know that, that philosophy? If you practice sloppy, that's how you play the game. If you, pla- if you practice well, chances are when it comes time to play the game you'll play the game well. Does that make sense? Somebody once said, "Well, practice makes perfect." No, it doesn't. If you practice sloppy, you'll play sloppy. Perfect practice makes perfect. You see, we've always got to strive for excellence in our life, no matter what we're doing. You and I, especially as Christians, cannot afford to to be slovenly, to be sloppy in our life. Does that make sense? We've got to be people who are who are serious and earnest in our life because we want to live our life for his glory. And I would suggest that how we live our life will determine how we go out. If I'm living faithfully, if I'm living my life and practicing my life Faithfully, when I go out, I'll go out faithfully. I believe that. Is faith necessary throughout the Christian life? Absolutely necessary. You can't live it without faith, right? Faith is especially necessary at the end of the Christian life. When it comes time to die, I called our message this morning, Faith That Defeats Death. This is something we're all going to have to face. You may be sitting there, a young person, thinking, Well, I don't think about death much. Well, it's not our favorite subject to think about. But remember, we're not guaranteed a tomorrow, are we? We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. We have no clue. We say, well, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. <laughs> Isn't that what the scriptures teach us to say? So we don't know. So, so we want to be looking at our life, saying, am I, am I living my life in such a way so that if I go out, I go out with my flags flying? I want God glorified not only by my life, I want him glorified by how I die. Is that a reasonable thing to expect, to desire? I believe that faith's greatest work is done at the very last, at the end of life. That's when faith's greatest work is done. To help us as believers finish well. Who wants to finish well? We ought to to be aspiring to finishing well. I had a track coach in high school who, I was a sprinter, and he always challenged me to finish well to power through that tape. Most guys would slow down at the tape. They'd, the race is over. they look around, you know, they're, if they're ahead or if they're, either they're behind. They wouldn't push through the tape. Finish well. But we won't finish well if we're not living well and if we're not pursuing that goal. And we can only finish well by faith. To finish well means basically to die to the Lord so as to honor Him. Lord, I want to honor you with how I die, not just how I live. I want you to be glorified by how I die. By the statement that my life leaves. I want to be able to exhibit patience, hope, joy. I want to be able to leave a testimony behind of the truth of God's word and the excellency of his ways. Is God's word true? We profess that. Not only with my life, with with how I die. I want to die triumphantly. A testimony to the truth of God's word. That death has been defeated. That it is and has been our final enemy, but Christ has defeated it. I want to testify of the excellency of his ways of living and his way of dying with hope, joy, with patience. If anyone should die triumphantly, it should be believers. Would you agree? We have every reason. Every reason. I've been at the bedside of many people in my experience as a pastor. And I've seen Christians... Die fearfully and I've seen Christians die triumphantly. I've seen people anticipate death with great fear and anxiety and worry. And I've seen Christians hardly wait to get out of this earth suit and into their glory suit. I was at the bedside of a man one time. His wife called me And she said, would you please come? And my husband is dying. We don't think he's going to live much longer. Would you please come and speak to him and tell him the gospel and lead him to Jesus? I came in and began to talk to him and he was cursing me. That man died with terror on his face. He died with anguish and his face was absolutely contorted. I believe he saw, if not hell itself, he saw the demons coming to get him crying out, shrieking out, and yet he would not repent. He would not cry out to Jesus to save him. That's terrifying to observe. Now that's an extreme case. But Christians, Christians should be people who are living their lives in such a way as when, when death comes, that we can absorb it. And not be afraid of it. Not be intimidated by it. When the Holy Spirit triumphs over our flesh finally. When the world is consciously and gladly left behind for heaven. Beloved, when there is anticipation. And when there is glory in our eyes. As we enter into the presence of the Lord. I want to suggest to you that that's when our dying is pleasing to Him. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. We're going to look at three verses in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. And we're going to look at three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph. Three men who illustrate the power of facing death in faith. So if you read these verses with me, verse 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now, on the surface of those three verses, you don't, you're not going to really pick up what I'm talking about. That's why I want to explain it to you. We're going to go back and we're going to look at Isaac's example in Genesis chapter 26, so you might want to put your finger there. But these verses, in effect, tell us that these three men, these three patriarchs, Isaac, his son Jacob, his son Joseph, that these men did not die in despair, but they died in hope. We can learn much from them. God had made promises. God has made us promises. We can we can depend upon his word. His word is truth to us. We believe what he says to us in this book called the Bible. We study it to learn it so that we can obey it. And if we stay studying and we, and we stay under his word long enough, every issue, every problem, every question, every doubt will be answered. It just matters. It's a matter of staying there. Life can throw lots of curves at us, can't it? It can throw lots of circumstances at us, can't it? Lots of discouragement. The enemy is just hanging around, waiting to discourage us. That's his greatest tool, his discouragement. If he can discourage you, man, he's got you dead in the water. And we're easily discouraged. You read something in the Word, and you, you pray, and you ask God, and you don't get an answer real quick. You've got to wait, you've got to wait, you've got to be patient. We're in this pilgrimage, right? This pilgrimage of faith requires patience, doesn't it? But you wait, and you wait, and a lot of times, people get impatient. They're tired of waiting. They grow weary. Their circumstances begin to undercut them, and eat away at the edges of their faith, if not at the very foundation of it. Beloved, we believe God. We believe God. We we say, God, this is what your word says. I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to trust you. Your word is sure. These men, in spite of the fact that they never did see God's promises in their lifetime, did not die in discouragement, but rather in hope. Beloved, you and I have great hope. We have hope. We live by faith. Their faith defeated death. They didn't die in despair. You and I don't need to die in despair. We don't, in fact, really need to live in it. Now, as we look at these men's lives, you see back in the book of Genesis that they, they did not always live faithfully. They trusted God imperfectly, as many of us trust Him imperfectly. Now, we, we think of them as models of faith, and in some respects they were. Joseph especially. We won't get to Joseph's life this morning. We'll look at Isaac, but Joseph for a moment, he kind of stands out. Remember, he was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. Faced lots of tribulations and suffering and trials and temptations, and yet in the midst of them continued to obey God, continued to trust in the Lord. All the while, completely separated from his family, uh, living in a pagan foreign land. I mean, if this guy, if anybody had odds against him, it was Joseph. But we're not going to look at faith in the midst of their life. This passage, these three verses we're looking at, they talk about the faith at the end of their lives. What do they exhibit at the end of their lives? Each one faced death in full and confident faith. I think that for a Christian who for the most part lives his or her life faithfully walking with the Lord, often at the end of that person's life they will find those last hours among the very sweetest of all. You've walked with the Lord. You've walked with the Lord. You've been faithful. You've grown up. You've matured. You get to a place in your life where all of a sudden the things of this life grow more and more dim. They have less and less a hold on you. You want more and more of Him. More and more of Him. And you come to that place in your life when, when He's calling you home and those last hours can be the very sweetest. When there's, you can see Him. And I've talked to Christians who just exhibit this, and, they, and they've said to me over and over, they say, I can see Him. I can see Him. Jesus is here. Or they, they say, I can see an angel. Or I can, hear, I can hear singing. I can hear the angels singing. Now the doctors and the nurses tell you, well, you know, they're losing it. They're hallucinating. The brain's shutting down. Chemicals, serotonin levels are down, you know, it's all they give you all the all the logical scientific answers. They give me all the answers they want. I prefer to believe that they're hearing angels sing. And, I mean, what a sweet way to go. As opposed to being terrified and and as opposed to being hopeless and in despair, still holding on to this life. Sometimes Sometimes, you know, the people just kind of linger and linger and linger. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't so that we'll just let them go. We say, God, take them. Or that they'll finally come to a place where they'll let go. Oftentimes, people, some, see, people need permission to go. I've been at the bedside of a number of people, and you just whisper in there, you say, it's okay, go. You don't need to stay. And it's just a minute later, they're gone. Amazing. Amazing. But what makes the the faith of Isaac and and Jacob and Joseph so significant? It's the fact that, just like Abraham, they died again without seeing the fulfillment of God's promises. Can I die in faith, not having received that which I wanted and waited for? That's what makes their dying so significant. They passed those promises on to their children by faith. They had received those promises by faith, and they passed them on by faith. What promises exactly did God give Abraham? There's three. Three promises. And there are... These are kind of prototypes for God's promises for us. The first promise that God made Abraham was that they would be in possession of the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. You'll have possession of the promised land, but Abraham never did possess the promised land. God's made us a promise. There's a promised land for us. It's eternity with him. The second promise was the creation of a great nation of his descendants. God said, I'll give you multitudes of offspring, but one particular nation would be the nation of Israel. And the third promise had to do with that nation of Israel, and that all the, all the earth, all the world would be blessed through that one particular people, Israel. And ultimately through the Messiah who would come through Israel. So God made those three promises to Abraham. Abraham. But Abraham, again, never saw any of these promises come to pass during his lifetime. Never saw them. He died in faith, saying, in effect, to his son Isaac, Isaac, I didn't see these promises come to pass in my lifetime. You will begin to see the fulfillment of these promises in your lifetime. But guess what? Isaac never saw the fulfillment of those promises in his lifetime. Isaac died in faith, saying to his son, Jacob, Jacob, you will see the fulfillment of these promises in your lifetime. Guess what? Jacob never saw the fulfillment of those promises in his lifetime. Jacob said to his son, Joseph, Joseph, you will see the beginning of the fulfillment of these promises in your lifetime. Guess what? Joseph never saw them either. All these men died in faith. We're told in verse 13 of chapter 11, they all If you look at that verse, they were still living by faith when they died. That means they died in faith. They never saw the fulfillment of those promises. They believed what they had never seen, and they passed on what they had never seen to their children. They were so confident in God's word that they passed on the promises to their children. Your children say, what are you passing on to me? What's the inheritance, Papa? Promises. Promises. That's all you're giving me? Father, have you seen the promises fulfilled? No, I've not seen them fulfilled, but I'm passing on unfulfilled promises to you. Is that a great inheritance? Depends on whose promises, right? God's promises. You have to appreciate this generation after generation after generation of, by faith, Trusting God, not knowing when they would see these promises fulfilled. That's the assurance of faith. That's the assurance of faith. Being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they were absolutely certain of what they did not see. They had no inheritance to pass on but the promises of God. And they considered these the greatest treasure they could bequeath to their children. What are we passing on to our children? What are we passing on to the next generation? Are we passing on to them a confidence in the word of God? are we just concerned with amassing material possessions to pass on? What are we concerned about? What, are, what heritage are we giving them from our lives? I remember years and years ago, a man told me something. It marked me for the rest of my life. He said, the greatest gift you can give your child is who you are becoming. Who are you becoming? What kind of heritage do you have to pass on? What are you passing on now? As Christians, we have a tremendous heritage to pass on. We can pass on to our children, to the next generations, a profound appreciation and confidence and trust in this book. Not that we have to be preachy to our kids, but that we just teach them. We teach them through our life. They watch us. They watch how we live. They watch how we talk. They watch how we, how we live out what we, what we read in this book. They see the effect of God in our lives as we trust Him. They observe it. You can't pound the Bible into kids and the young people in the next generation. They've got, to, they've got to get it by osmosis, it's got to ooze out of our lives into the lives of others, the next generation. What kind of inheritance are we passing on? Are we passing on great and wonderful things, great and wonderful promises by our life and how we're living it, how we're growing, and how they are seeing maturity in our life? These men never doubted that the promises would come true. We should never doubt that God's word is true. Circumstances will fly in the face of it day after day after day. We never doubt that God's word is true. We tell our kids, you can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know how he's going to do it, but we can trust the Lord. We're going to wait on him. God's ways, honey, are good and pleasing and perfect. God will never fail. He said he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. You see, we we have tremendous, wonderful promises to pass on. They did not die in the despair of unfulfilled dreams. They died in the perfect peace of unfulfilled promises. That's how they died. They were confident because they were God's promises. They knew those promises would be fulfilled. They died saying they will come. In God's time, the fulfillment will come. This is part of the blessing. This is is how you bless that next generation. You bless them with a confidence in God, in his word, and in his ways. They see it in your life. They see you even facing death every day in circumstances. But you know that God's word never fails. God's word doesn't die. God's promises don't die. And that next generation sees that, and they learn that from us. That's a magnificent kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that honors God and the kind of faith that God honors. You want to honor God? Trust Him. Believe Him. Wait on Him joyfully, hopefully, patiently. Because that's the kind of faith that honors Him. The writer of Hebrews tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. But that's also the kind of faith that God honors. Want God to honor your life? Honor Him. Honor Him. Let's look at Isaac. Let's look at Isaac. Verse 20, we're told, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. This is at the end of Isaac's life. He blesses Jacob and Esau. The order there is significant. (laughs) To understand it and appreciate it, turn back to Genesis chapter 26. Isaac is an interesting person. Well, they all are, actually. But in preparation for our talking with you this morning, going back and reading about Isaac, I discovered some things. First of all, he lived longer than all of the others. He lived longer than his father Abraham Abraham lived 175, Isaac lived to 180. He lived longer than Jacob. He lived longer than Joseph. And yet, despite the length of his life, less space is devoted to him in the Bible, in, in Genesis and Hebrews, less space is devoted to him than all the others. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, they have at least 12 chapters devoted to each. Isaac has max two and a half. Two and a half chapters. I think if you read about Isaac, you can see easily that he is probably the least spectacular and the most ordinary of all four. It's okay to be not spectacular and to be ordinary. He's probably less dynamic and less colorful, probably quiet and passive you read about him, you see these characteristics come through. Overall, he probably, of all four, he probably had the weakest faith. We know more of his failures than we do of his successes. Interesting about Isaac. Look with me at verse verse 1 through 11 of chapter 26 of Genesis. We're told that there was a famine in the land in which Isaac was living. And because of that famine, he went to the king of the Philistines. So he went and moved to the land of the Philistines to a city called Gerar. And it's in while he's there that God's going to speak to him. So as a result of the famine, he moves. Verse 2 says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a long, long, long time. Is that what it says? No, stay in this land for a while. God never meant him to settle down there and that make, him, that make that land his home. There's some tremendous parallels for us. God says, be here for a while. Don't set your roots down in this life. Don't make this your home. Your home is someplace else. So stay in that land for a while. Now look at what he says. And I will be with you, and I will what? Bless you. you. I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now, God is going to pass on to Isaac here, in these couple of verses, he's going to pass on to Isaac all the covenant promises that he gave to Abraham. Now it's not enough that Abraham blessed Isaac and passed the promises on to Isaac. God now comes, and God speaks to Isaac personally and confirms these promises to Isaac. These promises alone should have been enough to keep Isaac from any worry or fear. I mean, if God came down and talked to you, Tony, if God came down and talked to you and he said, Tony, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to provide for you, would that be would that be a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. How would that affect you personally as opposed to just reading the Bible? 100% You'd just it would really crank your faith up, right? You go, "Whoa, God talked to me." <laughs> now, would you would you feel assured? Would you have confidence? You think that when when fear and worry would come creeping around you, you'd you'd just you'd just be absolutely confident? you think Isaac should have been? Let's read the rest of the promise. (coughs) Sustain this land for a while. I'll be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Do you see those promises? Are they the identical promises God made to Abraham? They're identical. He says, "Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws, so Isaac stayed in Gerar." Now, so you see here that that God speaks to him. God makes these promises and promises to be with him, to protect him, provide for him, bless him, and so forth. Isaac should not have had any worry, any concern whatsoever. He should have realized that God could not have fulfilled the promises to him if God wouldn't keep him safe. Has God promised to keep him safe? Yes, absolutely. Not only that, but again, the Lord specifically told him, I will be with you and I will bless you. Now, I want you to notice something. Verse 7, we see the first sign of trouble. And at the first sign of trouble, Isaac proves faithful. No? No, he doesn't, does he? He proves faithless. Look at this. This will kill you. I mean, God just got done talking to him. Verse 7 says, When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill he, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Does he seem to evidence more concern for himself there than for Rebecca? <laughs> kind of like throws her to the wolves, or at least risks doing that, doesn't he? Has God just said, "Look, I'll be with you and I'll bless you." Does he need to fear? No, He doesn't need to fear. Now let's read on. Verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window, saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech goes, hmm, I thought she was his sister. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my my life on account of her. caring husbands. No, I won't say it. (laughs) Then Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Do you see God's grace there? Did God say to Isaac, I'll be with you? In effect, I'll protect you, I'll bless you. So God, without any help, any expectation from Isaac, God protects Isaac through an unbeliever. You see the grace of God working there? Is God's word true? Can Isaac depend upon him? Absolutely. Purpose. He's going to work that purpose out. Now God had said, I'm going to bless you, Isaac. You would think because of this faithlessness that Isaac would have disqualified himself. But guess what? God continues to bless him. In fact, God makes him a rich, rich, rich man in that land. So rich that all the Philistines now envy him. They're so envious of him that they want to sabotage his business. So they start filling up all of his wells with earth, with dirt. And finally, he moves out of the land, which probably it's time for him to go anyway. Probably God wants him out now. Verses 24 and 25, he moves to Beersheba. And when he's in Beersheba, now it's in the promised land, God speaks to Isaac again and repeats those covenant promises. He tells him again. He assures him again. Every time we open up this book, there is a word of assurance. There's a word of comfort. There's a word of encouragement. He assures him again. Look at verses 23 through 25. He says, from there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you, I will bless you, and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and there he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. So, so Isaac, Isaac just proclaims the name of the Lord. He testifies. He, he um, agrees, if you will, worships God for God's faithfulness and his promise to him. By God's sovereign work, He brought Isaac to the place where He wanted him, where Isaac should be. By God's sovereign work, beloved, that is how grace works. That's how grace works. God has a plan, He's going to get you to that plan. He's going to get you to that place. You don't need to fear, you don't need to worry. He's going to be with you. He's going to protect you. He's going to get you to that place. That's the assurance of faith. That's how faith works. Though Isaac was cowardly, though he was spiritually weak, he had believed. He believed God. And then he was established in this list of the faithful here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Isaac would follow his father's example a number of ways, some good ways, some not so good ways. One good way in which he followed his father's example remember, he trusted God for a son. Rebekah was barren. Sarah was barren, remember, his mother? And so Isaac praised to the Lord, prayed earnestly for a son, and we're told in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21 that the Lord answered his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, became pregnant. So he followed his father in some, in some good ways. Not so good ways. Isaac was basically materialistic. Materialistic mostly by sight and by taste. That's how he lived. Didn't always live by faith. He was partial to his older son Esau. We're told that Esau was a hunter. He was probably the, the, uh, the athlete of the family. And Jacob, the younger son, was probably the mama's boy. So, Isaac favored Esau. He was a hunter, and he was always bringing tasty food to his father. Even when Isaac was old and about to die, he asked Esau to go out, hunt some game, and come back and prepare a tasty meal before Isaac died, before he pronounced a blessing. Now, Isaac, it seems even at the end of his death end of his life before he dies it seems like he's he's thinking more of his stomach than he is of God's promise <laughs> now i say that because he's anticipating in fact he is very very serious about pronouncing the blessing and passing on the promises to esau now question do you think do you think at all that he knew that the blessing was to be passed on to Jacob? Well, let me let me back you up a little bit. When Esau and Jacob were born, God spoke to Rebekah. And God told Rebekah that the older would serve the younger, that in effect the blessing would go to Jacob, the second born. Typically, culturally, historically, the blessing always went to the Firstborn. But now God reverses the things. It's going to go to Jacob. Now, Rebecca knew this when those boys were born. Do you think that somewhere along the line, in those boys growing up, do you think that Rebecca told Isaac, oh, by the way? Do you think that's a possibility? I think so. I haven't met a wife yet that hadn't told her husband something he needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, I do? <laughs> he had to know that Jacob was going to get the blessing. Do you think that it's a possibility that he knew that Esau sold the birthright to Jacob? You think somewhere along the line, either Esau or Jacob himself, maybe Jacob went to Rebecca and said, Guess what, mom? Esau sold me the birthright. I got it. You think that Rebecca somehow got back to, to Isaac and said, Hey, Pa, guess what? Jacob's got the birthright. Esau despised it and sold it. The point I want to make is, Isaac surely must have known, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jacob was going to receive the promises and the blessing. And yet in the face of that, Isaac continues to be determined to pronounce the blessing on Esau. Beloved, the story of Isaac and Esau and Rebekah and Jacob, that story is of no credit to them. Isaac insisted on giving the blessing to the son that he knew was not God's choice. And Esau, who had despised his birthright, if you read in that passage later on, verse chapter 27, Though he sold the birthright, he thought that he could easily buy it right back again. He treated it shabbily. And Jacob, at his mother's instigation, tried to secure the blessing by deception rather than faith. If he knew that he was going to be blessed, if Rebecca knew that he was going to get the blessing, all they had to do was wait for God to bring it about. All you need is wait on God. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do something stupid here. I'm not going to reach in and try to make something happen that you already said is going to happen you're going to bring it about. Do we do that very often? The entire family acted shamefully regarding the promise of God. The entire family. Father and son tried to Do the wrong thing in the wrong way. Mother and son tried to do the right thing in the wrong way. God produced the outcome that Rebekah and Jacob wanted, but not for their reasons and not by their methods. God brought about that blessing on the right person. God did not honor what they did any more than what Isaac and Esau did. God only honors faith. Say that with me. God only honors faith. I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to do what you say, God. I'm going to wait on you. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. None of these people acted in faith. The right outcome was the result of God's faithfulness, not theirs. Not until the irreversibility of the blessing was obvious to Isaac did he begin to evidence faith again. Once he blessed Jacob, he saw the irreversibility of the blessing. Then he began to exhibit faith. Only when he realized that the blessing was going to be on God's man, regardless, did he acquiesce? Did he say, yes, Lord? Yes to God's way. And as he faced death, he blessed Jacob with a blessing that neither he nor his fathers had possessed, and Jacob, nor his sons, would possess. Isaac blessed Jacob in faith, knowing that God would fulfill the promises in his own way, in his own time. Beloved, in some ways, it could be said that Isaac is a blot on the Old Testament. But in the end, he was God's man. In spite of himself, he finished well. In the end, he believed. In the end, he obeyed. In the end, he submitted to God's will. But you see God's hand of grace moving in his life all along, and especially at the end. What's a lesson that we can learn from this? I want to finish well. I want to finish well. But I have to depend on God and His grace that I finish well. But there's this flip side of it. And the flip side is I want to be faithful with my life. If I want to finish well, I better be playing well. Make sense? I don't want to be all over the map. I don't want to be uh, faithless and then just hope at the end that my death brings Him Glory. If I'm not living my life faithfully every single day, if I'm not growing and maturing, if I'm not growing in the knowledge of grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, at the end of life, I have no guarantee that my death is going to defeat, my my faith is going to defeat death. I have no guarantee that. Go back to the old adage, you play the game like you practice. I want to finish well. I want to be faithful. And truly, as I as I grow in the Lord year after year after year, I find that the things of this life are growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I find that God is more important and more precious to me. The things of His kingdom become more real and more real and more real, more substantial in my life. I find that I really am longing, longing, longing for heaven and longing to see Him. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. What do you want written on your on your headstone? Somebody said, you know, you you don't really know how you, how to live your life. You don't know what you're going to live your life for until you know what you want written on your headstone. You want somebody to write He loved God. She loved God. He walked with God. She walked with God. They trusted God. Obeyed God. They died in faith holding on, believing. They passed on a heritage and faith. Great promises. They believed God's word. What do you want written on your tombstone? You're not ready to live your life until you can figure that out. You set your your course. The winds of adversity will blow, but you live it by faith, so that when you come to the end, you'll die by faith. You'll finish well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we want to finish well. It makes sense to us. None of us, Lord, wants to die in despair or frustration, emptiness, fear, anxiety. Lord, we want to go out with our flags flying at full mast. Lord, in short, we want to bring you glory. No matter what our circumstances of death may be, Lord, that our lives are just, there's a a continuity through it all. I pray that we would have a vision, I pray that we would have an understanding of these things and that they would, Lord, impact us in such a way that they would make a tremendous difference for your glory. Help us, O Lord, to hold on, to live to be aggressive in faith for your sake. We give you thanks this morning, Lord, for the great hope that you've given to us. Lord, give us wisdom to pass these things on to the next generations that are coming up behind us. Lord, not just with our words, but with our life. Let our kids and those who are coming behind us see the truth of your promises in our life. Thank you, Lord. Keep your heads bowed for just another moment. I want to offer an opportunity for somebody who you may be here this morning and you've come and you don't know for sure that you're going to end life and go to heaven. You hope you would go to heaven, but you have no assurance of that. The Bible says that you can have assurance by faith in Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that we're all sinners. The Bible says that everybody is under God's wrath. And the only reason we escape that wrath is because we put our faith in one who died for us, who paid the price for our sins, that only person who's ever done that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says narrow is the way to life, and few who find it. And broad is the way to destruction. I pray I never look into another person's face and see the terror on that face that I saw that in that man's face as he was dying and going to hell. I pray that if if I'm ever blessed enough to be at your bedside when you die, do your funeral, that I can say, he, she loved God. They served God. They walked with Jesus. If you want the assurance of heaven, the forgiveness of your sins, then believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Today is a day of salvation. No other day. Today is a day. I don't know if you are ready to make a decision. There's somebody here this morning that's ready to make that decision. Somebody who wants to finish well. Somebody who, even in their death, they want to die in faith, believing, trusting. They want to pass on a heritage to the next generation. God has already spoken to your heart. And I want to just urge you, maybe for the first time in your life, to take a stand for Jesus. You say, but but I don't know this and I don't know that. You don't know anything. All you need to know right now is you're a sinner and Jesus died for you and you're going to take a step of faith and you're going to believe in Him. And you're going to begin to walk with Him. And as you walk with Him, you'll learn more and more and more about that decision you made, about what it means to be a Christian. But you've got to take the first step. I'd like to lead you in a prayer, but I don't want to pray by myself and I want to know if there's somebody who wants to pray with me. And you can just simply signal me by standing up, taking a stand for Jesus, saying, you know, I want to become a Christian. I want my sins forgiven. I want to, if I die today, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I give my life to the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. If you're ready to make that decision, just go ahead and stand right now. Anybody at all? Don't put it off. God speaking in your heart, to stand. Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I know there's some others. Ready to make that decision to get on with it? Just go ahead and stand. Okay. Anybody else? You're praying, church. Those of you who Christians, pray. There's some spiritual warfare going on in some people's lives right now. Ask God to release them. I have some others of you who you need to, to reaffirm your stand for Jesus for some reason. God's been speaking to you and you also want to finish well, but you've kind of stumbled along the way here. I'd like to pray with you, and I'm going to invite you to stand too. Okay? Good. Anybody else? Now there's some others of you who who just, quite frankly, want to stand. You You just want to do it. It's okay. You can stand too. If you're standing, just lift your hands with me now. Just lift your hands. Make this your prayer. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for Jesus who died for me, paid the price for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the gift of new life. Lord, I reaffirm my commitment to you this morning. I pray you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen me for your purpose. Lord, I want to live my life for your glory, and I want to finish well. Enable me, Lord. Help me to keep the goal in, in in sight. Lord, when distractions come, when the enemy bears in hard, remind me to praise you and thank you in the midst of it. Lord, I reaffirm my commitment to you this morning. You are God. There is no other. And I believe in Jesus. And I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he was buried. I believe that he rose after three days. And I believe that when he died, I died with him. When he was buried, I was buried with him. And I rose with him to new life. So, Lord, I live in that new life now by faith, and I give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Let's stand and let's sing a beautiful song. Yes. Glory to God. Glory to God. I want to take wings you are going to take wings. Are we going to fly away? That's right. Let's stand and fly away together.